0: going off track this is our npr episode this is going off track on the air with jonah brad and steven mike is away on assignment meaning he's making the dollar dollar bills y'all today's guest jason shevchuk from none more black kid dynamite who am i missing all right fine i'll stop talking like that yeah that, <laughs> that was uh every episode of npr you've ever listened to yeah. every episode every show on npr you've ever listened to
1: yeah, but yeah, No More Black, Kid Dynamite, he was also in Bound back in the day. Oh, that's right. A band that not many listeners probably
0: know about. And, oh, it's very uh, cool when you bring like that shit up.
1: Yes, and Damn. he's done some other stuff, but uh, Kid Dynamite and No More Black still active. Speaking of which, next Thursday, Kid Dynamite are playing at House of Vans with Joyce Manor, and that is a free show, and I haven't seen Kid Dynamite in a really long time, I've and I cannot wait.
0: I might actually venture out
1: of the... Uh you should come and you can sleep over in my apartment that would be great I live just down the street
0: oh that would be perfect alright let's make a plan everybody come over to Jonas. we'll all sleep over there it'll be great
1: guys if you're tuning in you wait to hear the logistics of this plan which, <laughs> which I know are going to exist of Stephen being like I have to
0: ask my wife yep <laughs> <laughs> well what time would you be leaving we have to put the kids down <sighs> I know I'll say so here's a funny story about uh, trying to do the right thing and it wasn't even the right thing it was just an, this is just me becoming an angry suburban father <laughs> So I was driving my wife to the train station and we leave. We live on a, a street that I'm in a perpetual war with our township to try and get a stop sign because our street just leads right to the train station and people just fly down it. What's the argument against a stop sign? Like who does it hurt? Oh, there's several. There's not there's not enough money in the city planning budget to do it. Also, there haven't been enough accidents there to merit having one. So until myself, my wife, or one of my kids gets run over, then we can get a stop sign. How much sign. does a stop sign cost? It. It. It's. I been, mean, you pay taxes. Like, what does a catch that cost seventy five bucks? New
1: Jersey, so many. What if you funded? It, what if, you, what were, if like, you just put one up? Yeah. What if you just put it? One or steal it from another neighborhood.
0: Well, what's interesting is I emailed the township <laughs> and they said, "Well, you know, what, you can get one of these signs. It's kind of a children at play sign." I'm like, "Oh, that I have to pay for and put together." So I've almost been – actually, I got a car almost ran me over. I had to jump off my board, which sounds way cooler than I am. And uh, Trish almost got nailed. I'm always fearful of my kids because we – it's just – we have no yard. Because when you move from Manhattan to any kind of house, you're like, this is amazing. And then later you go, wait we have no yard. This is ridiculous. So I'm taking her to the train. And some two dudes in a sob just pull up to the stop sign on the corner – We live on a corner. We don't have a stop sign. They do. They're supposed to stop. Just plows through, almost nails us. So I'm the guy that when someone almost hits me, I just lay on the horn for a good minute and a half while I follow them until my wife goes, please stop it. We get the dude's license plate, take her to the train station. Just like, motherfucker. I'm just going to call the cops and give them the license plate and let them know we almost got nailed. Take the girls. We go up to our local bagel place. Oh, shit. I see the car. And I see the two dudes in the car. So I get out of my car with two two-year-old babies in tow, my posse, like I call him, one hand in each, walk over to this dude's car, knock on the door. Some young kid, by young I mean in their twenties, uh, looks up at me. One, he has one diamond earring in his left ear, <laughs> which, by right the way, that's bad because that means he didn't commit. You know, don't wear just one earring. Just do it. Go for it. You have two ears. So, which, by the way, why didn't you pierce two nostrils? I'm digressing. So I knock on the door. He looks at me like befuddled. And I just say, in what apparently has now become my dad voice, (laughs) roll your window down. (laughs) Rolls his window down, just stares at me. Yeah. I'm the dude you almost ran over. One proving I'm really cool because I said dude. And I've got two little girls just standing next to me. It's like, I'm really sorry about that. And then every thought, every piece of anger that's going through my mind just all this vitriol from almost getting hit just running into a car i say you should be and i'm telling the cops so <laughs> good luck with that <laughs> i walk away <laughs> such a what mora. did the kids say bah! he just rolled, <laughs> just rolled up his window and said yeah what are the cops gonna do nothing and doesn't care and leaves i like to think that he was just very scared because he was young you know when you're when you're a kid and you get your first speeding ticket and you're shaking and you don't know mm-hmm. what to do then you're older and you've had about 10. You're like, great, awesome. Thanks for inconveniencing me. So I call the fucking cops. And I said, hey, this kid almost ran me over. Uh, I've got his license plate. just want to give it to you. Oh, we can't do anything because we didn't see the altercation. But you can issue a ticket. That's your right. If you want to come down here and fill out some forms. And I went, wait, I, I get to issue the ticket? Citizen's arrest. <laughs> and they said, yeah, then you can testify. Knowing, and his voice was... You'll never testify. You're not going to waste your time. So the cop followed with, "If that's something you'd like to do, would you be into that, sir?" And I went, "Yeah, I would. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> Dude, would." Again
1: with the textiles. Where are they going when you're the one that's to prosecute people? <laughs> this is,
0: so. I said, hey, man, also on my street, people roll through the stop sign. If you wanted to just camp out there, you guys would make so much money in tickets. You'd make all your <laughs> revenue. And I was serious. And, 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 you, and, he said, and he said,
1: well, if you'd like
0: to camp out and make, yeah. and give, us, and give the us the money. <laughs> he said, right. well, well, if we camped out there all day, we wouldn't be able to respond to other calls. And I was just like trying to be nice. And I wanted to say, how many calls are you getting? Right? Is it, how many emergencies are at Dunkin' Donuts, like, bro? Mm-hmm. Are, are we in Chicago? Like, what, what the fuck? So I said, you know what? I will come down. All right. Well, we're here, we're here all day. You know, I'm coming at night. <laughs> He's like, well, you have 90 days. I went, 90 days? Awesome. So I'm just infuriated. So what we, how, the clock's ticking. Clock's ticking. I'm, how I'm, many I'm days like, we got left? I'm, I, I have 63.
1: <laughs> we should do a, a countdown on the podcast.
0: It's, just so, it's so annoying. But here's the thing about where I live. If we, we have, we have a, a lovely porch that when we moved into the house, it was pitched. So if you were cooking hot dogs, they would just roll off the grill, which I thought was amusing the first four times it did it. So we built a new deck years ago. And I just wanted to extend it out just a foot. Just make it a little bigger. It's on my actual property. This is so whiny, while I'm saying. but So I. the rules are you're supposed to ask the township, if you're ever doing any building, just let them know. And they went, oh, you can't extend it a foot. What is on my property? Yeah, but it's it's in township, so you have to come to a meeting, file a variance, uh, mail a letter to all your neighbors that you're doing actual construction changes, and pay us a thousand dollars. And I went, well, actually, you know what? Now I'm not going to change it a foot. I'm going to leave the size as is because it's nice. You're not getting a thousand dollars, and I don't have to do any of that, right? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, cool. So you just lost money by being a dick, and I don't have to. I don't have a and slightly it bigger dick. Do anyways. Deck. Who cares? I, now, well, now that I filed it. I've heard stories that they, you know, come around and check. I got a note put on my door one time that said, we've heard there's a dog and cat here and you haven't filed the license laws.
1: We're like, w-? Dude, that kind of stuff is insane to it's me. It's infuriating. I feel like if you own your property and you own the plot of land and you're not infringing on someone else and, you know, building something too big or whatever, then you should be able to do whatever you want.
0: It's incredibly dicky and incredibly stupid. And so I'm, I've been emailing them about a safety concern. People... F- flying down my to the point where I'm thinking about buying a radar gun and just clocking everybody getting one of those little baseball ones and get a badge yeah gonna, well apparently I'm a cop apparently we're all cops Being, doing a citizen's arrest is like a sacrament in the Catholic Church <laughs> forget
1: all that stuff I told you before we started taping today yeah. oh yeah Sorry. I had no
0: idea that you were an ARC so yeah, I'm I'm beyond a NARC. <laughs> I am super oh, God, I'm fucking infuriated.
1: <laughs> You're like a cop
0: with no power. We're all cops with no power. <laughs> yes, so. I'm gonna arrest people for fun. Ugh, annoying.
1: Jason Shevchuk Jason Shevchuk <laughs> who uh uh awesome singer, listen to him talk. Big film guy. Yeah, big big horror guy, which you are not. Nope, that was hard. It's going on? Track! Jason, how do you pronounce your last name? Shevchuk. Chevchuk. That's what I thought. Nailed it. But I didn't want to fuck it up. My dad says Sev Sevchuk.
2: <laughs> like he just says Sev. Uh, he just doesn't go Chev <laughs> for some reason.
0: Just avoids that.
2: Yeah. S H. He was born in France or in Germany, but oh, I might have something to do. Where with in Germany that. was he born? Uh, Nordhorn.
0: I don't know that place.
2: I think it's like north it's northwest.
0: Oh, okay. Did you live in you Ta- lived in Germany? I lived right? in Heidelberg, but I lived in Bavaria, which is like closer to Austria.
2: Okay. Yeah, they were on their way to France where he lived for seven years before moving here. All oh, right on. Yeah. They were escaping.
0: Escaping. One of those stories Famous. that just makes you go, yeah, my life's really boring. <laughs> and I'm kinda cool with that. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, my uh,
2: couple years ago, my cousin put together like a book for Christmas for everybody of all like their old photos of when they were living in French like um, uh, labor camps, just like worker camps, and they're like living in these huts. And I'm like, God damn! God. And they look like they were having a blast, you know. And then they come over here; it must have been a crazy culture shock.
0: Yeah, what year was this? Do you think? Jeez, I don't even know what year they moved here. I think they probably moved here in the 50s. So this was your grandparents? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So from from Germany to France. Yeah. From, U- R- from the Ukraine
2: Ukraine. From Ukraine. Wow. They they left the Ukraine. Yeah,
0: shortly after the war. So literal refugees.
2: Yeah. Wow. A lot, a lot of Ukraines ended up in Hamilton. They moved to Hamilton Township, uh, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. A lot of them settled in in Hamilton and in Northeast Philly and you know, like the Polish did in Greenpoint. You right. Know, it's like there's areas where there's, you know, a lot of, a lot, just a lot of them settled and So I always wonder in touch. Who was
0: wonder who was first. <laughs> it was like, was it one whole family? Like, this place looks good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, everybody. Seriously. It's like
2: coming to America, <laughs> spin the globe.
0: Yeah. Let's open a bakery. Yeah, why not? It'll be delicious.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so today I'm going off track. Our guest is Jason Shevchuk from Kid Dynamite, No More Black, Bound you get a lot of bound references?
2: No. Very very <laughs> few these days.
1: I uh I saw Jason was that your first band or were you in bands before that? I was in bands in high school. Okay. Nation of
2: hate. You disrespect. <laughs> um
1: yeah. Those sound like pretty angry bands. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was in some hardcore bands in high school called Provoke and Do Respect. Okay. So I feel like we could have played together. These, these and made bands, terrible music. These
2: bands were more like SOD, like inspired, okay. MOD. Um, but Nation of Hate had the coolest logo because it was like – I joined the band. It wasn't like I was part of the – it was like the first time I've ever had playing music. And the logo was really cool. It was like an N. And then the, the, the one side of the H met the N and the O was in the middle. And it was all angular. It was cool. I'm thrilled for it. I could friend. draw it for you later.
0: I'm I'm very happy for our first S O D reference on the podcast. Yes, I think that's it. That's really good. I remember being, a good <laughs> Making
1: a flyer for my band provoke in science class, and my teacher helping me. And it was Cleveland Hate Core. And my teacher was like, "What's Hate Core?" <laughs> and I was this like skinny nerdy kid with like a shaved head, and I'm like, "Oh, it's just like it's a style of music." She's like, "Do you hate?" people? I'm like, "No, I don't know. It's just like really angry, I guess. I don't know." We, Are you like, from
0: Cleveland? Yeah. Uh, if, Cleveland? First, I was like, "How hardcore you're making the flyer in class?" Then it ended with my teacher helped me. Yeah, she helped me. And
1: I remember Cleveland
2: being a tough. There was some tough dude. There was some yeah. tough straight edge like there gangs were, there, right? Not gangs. I won't use. There were term. a lot of crews.
1: There was a lot of talking. There was a lot of like tough guy talking. But One not, Life Crew
2: was from Cleveland, yes, right? One Life um,
1: Crew. Uh, I uh, I was in yeah. I yeah. I, those guys actually got me into hardcore. Really, amazingly. Yeah, they um, were a good band. Yeah, they were. Uh, yeah. Maybe some questionable lyrics, but good band. <laughs> Very questionable but, uh, and, and questionable antics from time yes. to time. But uh, yeah, their singer, Mean Steve, owned a tanning salon called Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> this is absolutely true. It was in this, like, in the suburbs, like where I grew up, <laughs> behind like this strip mall, and I would go there and like it was. Get a good bass. D- I would hang out there, and they sold like OLC CDs and like tanning stuff, and I would just like hang out with these guys that were like ten years older than me and weighed like four times as much as me. And they would just take about. They would drive to like drive me to Erie to go see ignite and like those guys actually got me into hardcore, which is pretty <laughs> pretty funny. Yeah, tanning
2: salon names are like probably the the biggest retail biggest business that use puns. Yes, you know in their titles. Mm. Yes, suntastic. You know, <laughs> oh, sunbelievable's yeah.
1: good. It's pretty yeah. good, right? It's really, good. really good. Yeah, yeah. I uh, it wasn't until I was later in life when I
0: really appreciated it.
2: There's a there's a hair salon near where I live called Curl Up and Die.
0: Yes. <laughs> really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you heard? D- of it? D- well, I, I think it's maybe it's a franchise. I, I, think, I think it's a franchise. I think I heard about that in LA because it's dye d y e. Yeah, like yeah. hair hair
1: dye. That's you know? yeah, amazing. But I saw Bound in Cleveland at Peabody's Down Under. Okay. I, I mean, and this must have been. I don't know. I was in high school. Probably.
2: We played Cleveland. We had a we had good shows in Cleveland.
1: Yeah, yeah. So now where are you from? You're from Jersey or Philly? I'm
2: from Jersey. Jersey. Um, I moved to Philly in '95 yeah. after high school. A year after high school, when Disrespect decided to call it quits, I said, "Okay, I'm going to." Yeah,
1: everyone remembers it. Yeah,
2: it was very dramatic. <laughs> like every other band that I've been in that calls it quits, yeah, made all the headlines. <laughs> um, then, uh, yeah, I was in Philly for I think eight eight years before moving, having a brief interim in New Jersey, then Brooklyn. Now I'm back in Jersey.
0: And your family—was anyone musical at all?
2: Uh. My grandfather was, he passed when I was in sixth grade, before I was even interested in music. He was like, uh, I think he was really big into jazz, and he was really big into into film as well. He had like a drum set in in his one room and a guitar, and he used to, I actually have his, took a bunch of his old records, and he's got like these jazz records that don't have any drums on them, and he would just go and play the drums to them. I don't know how good he was, but I know he probably drove my grandmother crazy. Um, but I think he was probably, uh, the only musically inclined person in in the family.
0: And when they came over from the Ukraine, this was my from, mother's, this is your mother's, my okay, mother's. Different. Oh, got he, it. He, he there, he was Sicilian. Oh, okay. oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. See, there's, there's a lot of heritage going on in your veins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, uh, I, like, th- I punished was- Jason on the train. I ran into him, like, five years ago. And I was like, oh, it's Jason from Kid Dynamite. I gotta say what's up. And then I felt like we had this, like... You were, like, super nice. And then, like, afterwards, I was like, oh, I'm totally in that dude.
2: No, was, Does that nice? happen to I, you a lot? I remember... I actually had an interaction with somebody waiting for the train. And that one made me more uncomfortable because it was, like...
1: You don't know how long it's gonna go on for? It, yeah,
2: and it was like, are you this person? And I said, yes. Because at least you knew. Right. It was right. like, this person, I, I... And we had met, and I, I think I believe I recognized you because um, I thought we met at the Knitting Factory as well. But, I think we did because I probably wouldn't have remembered from
1: from the Bound days, you know. Right, right. 100%. Well, we hung out at Ziggs too.
2: Okay, well that was that was just the free for all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, sometimes it happens, and you know, whatever. Sometimes it makes me uncomfortable, depending on who it is, right, from, right. From what kind of like I. What kind of interaction it is,
0: you know? It must be cool and also weird to have that kind of devotion, yeah, you know? yeah. Especially if it's people who um, didn't get to see the band, you know?
2: Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. for me to be like waiting for a subway, and like I don't, I don't think I'm rec- that recognizable. I don't look like a punk dude from you know. And for for a band to have been defunct for so long, for this person to recognize me, you know, waiting for a train. And just say, you know, I mean, she was very nice. She said she was a big fan. And I turned red and because <laughs> you're around other strangers that, right. you know, may, I think that that's what makes me more uncomfortable is people looking at me oh yeah, staring at me.
1: But you're much more approachable than Dan. I feel like if I didn't know Dan, I'd be like,
2: yeah, well, he's big. And, he's big, but he's very approachable.
0: Yes. Yeah. So what's the timeline? So, so bound and uh-huh. then that goes away. And then what? So what was next?
2: Um. Actually, Bound's last show was the same month as Kid Dynamite's first show. It was our, the guitar player from uh, Bound said he was going to quit, didn't want to do it anymore. Um, so I was like, okay. Um, Dana decided to move to Boston. A few months went by, we're like, let's book a last show in April. Um, a buddy of mine had tried out for Kid Dynamite, who I had helped him with his vocals, to try to like because he had never sung for a band before so you know he came over and i tried to help him with phrasing and he didn't make the band so i called him after bound was done and i said hey do you mind if i try out because he left me the tape of just the music it was like six songs and uh yeah he gave me dan's number and i we bound had played the church with lifetime once and I was like, hey, I don't know if you remember me. We met at the church, blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he was lying or not. <laughs> I said, I'd like to come out and, and try out. And and I did. And that was it.
1: What what was like, how did Kid Dynamite come about? Because like, I felt like Lifetime put out Jersey's Best Dancers, which was like, incredible record. And then all of a sudden, like they were done and it was a new band. I mean... It
2: wasn't all of a sudden. It I wasn't? Mean, I think it was, they were... Trying out singers for a good almost year and a half before I came along. Really, like they they had been. I think they had recorded the demo without vocals months in order to try out singers. Okay, because um, I think what happened was uh, Dan and Steve got together to, to start a band, and uh, Steve worked at Time Zone in Philly with Dave Wagon now his now wife, and then Dan and Dave had had some issues at the at the end of. Dave's time with uh, Lifetime. Okay, so they, uh, you know, Steve had recommended Dave to come come back to play drums, and you know they they hashed it out, talked it out, and decided to give it a go. And then they, I guess they recorded those song, wrote some songs, and recorded them, and just waited for the right singer to come along.
1: What was your tryout like? Were you pl- singing to the tape, or was it like no, playing a lot? Was or?
2: I? I well, I had I had prepared about a month ahead of time. Okay, because I had the. I had the cassette and I wrote lyrics and melodies to everything and would like scream into the pillow in my apartment so my neighbors wouldn't hear me. And I just showed up. It was actually at uh, Dave's apartment on South Street, which ended up being my apartment years later. Um, and it was in his bedroom. He, just, he had a futon. We pushed it up against the uh, wall, set up the drums, set up the amps. And uh, that was it.
0: So at the end of it, they're like, "You're in." Or, you no, no, no. It okay. was, it
2: was, it was actually funny because I showed up in an Earth Crisis uh, windbreaker, <laughs> and you know, it, it's not, it's not, this, it's a totally different type of music. Yes, you know? and I was like, "I hope, I hope they're not judging me based on,"
1: which of they, course they were.
2: Of course, <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. And they were late because they were actually out looking for a practice space uh, with Jim Winners who. Uh, played in a band called Turmoil, who we ended up getting, a, we shared a space with them. So my first tryout was with Jim Winner's sit, standing right next to me, uh, while I sang through this little bass amp. And then you know maybe like a week or two had gone by and I hadn't heard anything. And uh, Burn, was it Burn? I think Burn played uh, or a Veil. I forget. I think it was Burn played the Y in Philly. And I ran into Dan and I was like, hey man, you know, I just wanted to say hi. And he's like, I've been meaning to call you. He's like, we want to have you back. So I was like, okay. And I went back one more time and I think Dave called me and asked me to be in the band like that week.
0: So they had written songs, but no lyrics.
2: No lyrics. They had all the music written huh. for
0: half the first
2: record. Wow.
0: That fascinates me.
2: Dan, Dan pro- I think Dan probably had most of the second record written at that point too. Just
0: really? Just hadn't
2: introduced it. Because he I mean, and it's the same way with me with None More Black. Like, I have songs written that were written for from file under black that ended up on This as Satire. Just because you write songs and then maybe they don't fit or you're just, wait, you're just saving them. Because you can't put 16, well, Kid Dynamite could because our songs were so short. But you can't put, you can only put so many songs on a record.
0: Was the name Kid Dynamite already set in stone? No,
2: no. We had a... After our first couple of practices, we went to the diner in South Philly. We practiced off Oregon Ave. Um, and we went to a diner and just jotted down a bunch of names. It was like Bullet Hits the Bone was an option. Tommy Gun. And then Dan mentioned Kid Dynamite. And we were just like, okay, that's that's good. I actually liked Bullet Hits the Bone, which I think came from a U2 song or something. Or Bullet Hits the Blue
0: sure i don't well, know bullet to blue sky off joshua tree so i don't know, I don't if that's. know. maybe i got that totally wrong even better because i know that Wags works is a big two fan who isn't yeah i'm not really no no, no records at all
2: None. no because the radio ruined that band for me
0: <laughs> yeah they yeah. they did they did get completely oversaturated mm-hmm. I, I do back that yeah but then they just started writing bad songs and bad records so that helps
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean maybe i can go back and listen to them now and I mean, it's always going to be there mm-hmm. for, for me to go back and listen. So that that's happens. You, never, you ever have like a band that you just never really cared about and then you go back and you're like, what was I thinking? This band is awesome.
0: You just described my entire life.
2: Yeah. It's, and that's what's cool about it. It doesn't go anywhere. When anymore.
0: I'm in high school listening to Van Halen going, this is the greatest band ever. And my friends are all going to see Pixies and Love and Rockets. And I'm like, whatever. Yeah. Oh, wait. They'll but, never amount to anything. But my look back was probably about a year. Like, oh, crap. Should wish i gone to that show. It was stupid. <laughs> Diver Down's still good, though. Mostly covers.
1: <laughs> what I think is crazy about Kadynamite is um, how long was it been together? Not that long, right?
2: Um, I joined in '98. Okay. Um, I think, it, yeah, it was April of '98, I think, was our first show. And we were, our last show was February 2000. Okay. What happened? I left. <laughs> you say, <really>? you say- <laughs> yeah. After our tour with uh we did a tour with Snapcase and uh I wanna say despair, buried alive. Ah. And, you know, after that tour I just said, you know, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Well, I wanna focus t- on I wanna go I want to finish school and you know yeah, what focus were you doing? on another life.
0: What were which, you doing the whole time, like you you know, you joined the band and you said you'll you know you're going down and in- uh, auditioning in Philly. I mean, were you going to school? Were you yeah, working? Yeah,
2: I, I was going to U Arts. Okay. At the time, um, studying film. Ah. Uh-huh. Which is what I wanted to do uh at the time. Which you know, my plan was to just do that, and then you know, Kid Dynamite came about, and it just took off like a speeding bullet,
0: like crazy. When you studied film, like who were, who were some of the people you liked? I studied a little bit of film in college.
2: Well, I went to. I mean, U Arts was a very like, it's not your typical film school. I mean, they'll you know introduce you to like Bresson, you know, and Godard, and you know, the snotty
0: you know, the who Criterion. Needs, who you needs know. plot kind of stuff?
2: Right, exactly. And and it's not if you want to make it in Hollywood, that's not the school that you want to go to if you want to learn and be inspired, you know, if you want to... The classes were small, so you could get your hands on equipment immediately and start shooting. Um, And a lot of our classes were more about theory. Excuse me. Um, You know, about... We had a semester purely based on time and how stories can be told in non-linear fashion. You know, we watched a film called Jean Dillman, which uh, Criterion released recently. It's like... I think four hours long, and it's it's about a woman, uh, a prostitute who's also a mother, and you don't find this stuff out until later. But you're just sitting through this like four hour movie, watching her do the dishes and feed her child and get up, make the bed, just like really mundane things like that. And some of it sticks, you know, and some of it's just like, eh. It's not the type of school, you know. It's if you want to get a job in the industry, don't go to that kind of school, you know. Right. So so what
0: were they preparing you for?
2: Uh, To be an artist, to do your own thing. And then it was afterwards where, and we were still cutting film. The year after digital just took over. So that's when I had to teach myself, you know, After Effects and nonlinear editing and got a job doing TV commercials and After Effects. And that's what I've been doing ever since.
0: I think it's fascinating that they try to teach you a nonlinear way of doing it, but you still have to cut it linearly. And then all of a sudden comes this editing program. You know, you had avid and symphony and now yeah. everyone's using Final Cut, which is ridiculously nonlinear.
2: Right. It's just they they well, they they teach you a they show you how you could tell a story in a nonlinear fashion.
0: Which... Were, were there any quote unquote, you know, name directors who came out of this school? No. None. <laughs>
2: <laughs> my my professor Peter Rose is actually pretty popular in the in the art world, you know, for his experimental films he has exhibits all over all over the world um and his stuff is really cool like one he showed us one where he strapped a camera to his back a film camera and climbed the golden gate bridge walked no up way. it yeah i think he may have been the only one to uh, to have uh permission to do that at the time and he had to and this was a time where i mean a film roll was only 15 minutes so he had to stop and change his mag up halfway up this whatever you call it the part of the bridge where you're holding on, and he showed us his film, and, and I'm afraid of heights, oh, so really? it was just like crazy
1: experience. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, wow, I um, it's your T-shirt. You never guess you went
0: to film school. No, no. <laughs> yeah. The Herzog Danzig T-shirt. Yes, the <laughs> classic. There's a bunch of those. There were lo- they were a lot of fun. Yeah,
2: them. I had a tough tough time picking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Herzog. His stuff is great. The um the that Loch Ness monster film I saw a few years ago that was hilarious, yeah. Seemed to be a kind of a bit of a departure for him, but really really fun. Yeah, I listened to another
1: podcast where the host is obsessed with this movie Strohbeck. I've never seen, seen that. It. That's a heard I went apparently it's pretty wild. I've huh. not seen it either. He does
0: crazy stuff. Man.
2: Yeah, he's got a collection, and I think you can get it on his website. It's I think it's like all all of his early work, which it's expensive though. It's like three hundred bucks or something
0: were there any filmmakers that you um i don't know like who are some of your guys um
2: terrence malick is right now like you know my top guy i think um, i like uh paul thomas anderson right now um, you know these are these are guys who don't fail me you know mm-hmm. everything's good tarantino's great but if i'm going to get snobby you know uh Brisson is a Man Escaped is one of my favorites. Uh um the Seikos uh Bicycle Thief. That's an amazing movie. These are films that I that I act, that actually stuck with me from And they made him change school. the
0: title too. Did they? It oh. was going to be Bicycle Thieves. Oh,
2: which, you know there's there's, really, there's a, yeah. I think the criterion might yeah. actually say uh
0: Bicycle Thieves. Makes more sense. That's a great that's a great film. It applies there's more than one. Yes. Exactly. It's a really it's an amazing movie and it's all non-actors. It's it's
2: basically Pee-wee's big adventure. Yeah you know
0: but really
2: sad yeah <laughs> and um man what was i just thinking yeah lost my train of thought yeah D-
1: do you still um make films or e- well actually i've i've just
2: told myself and my my buddy joe who i went to film school with who actually works with me at my current job we kind of decided that we're kind of in the same place where we've let We've let our careers kind of pull us away from what we really want to be doing, so we kind of made it an oath to to do more on our own. Because it gets so hard. You get home from work, you know, you work all day, you're burnout. Right. It's really hard to to find the time to do your own work, um, especially when there's bills to pay. I can't just take a take months off of work. Um, maybe if I was younger and wasn't playing in bands, I could have done that, but. Now we, you know, we made an oath that you know this year it's like, got to shit or get off the pot. So um in June, oh, we can I curse?
1: Yes, oh. absolutely. No, I thought it, I thought
2: <laughs> rewind that. I'm pro- I probably have in, a, in the previous <laughs> I'm probably a couple to, minutes yeah. of the conversation, but um I'm going to start with um the guy uh, Paul Romano, who's done all of None More Black's artwork. He's he's done all of our record covers. He's done. He's a brilliant artist, so I'm going to do a documentary on him. I think in June we're, we're discussing. Uh, I don't know where it's how long it's going to be, but that's going to be my first uh, project because we're going to Europe next week to play Gros Rock. Kid Dynamite is so when I get back, I'm going to really start to focus on.
0: So on you this. left Kid Dynamite. Oh and, yes, and now <laughs> no, it's fun. Uh, so, but you're playing shows again. Have you always done just like a one-off since you left the band, or was No there, no? no.
2: Um, It was, our last show was in 2000. Didn't talk to each other for, well, they didn't talk to me for three years. Um, I started None More Black in that interim in 2001 or shortly after our last show. Um, And then in 2003, I think it was 2003, Beamer, Mark Beamer started, uh, asked us to play uh, a benefit for SSE. Um, and we all said yes, so that was kind of our "let's be friends again." Let's, you know, bury the hatchet, and that went really well. And that was it, as far as we were concerned. And then we got asked to play CB's. I think like the last couple shows at benefit shows at CB's in two thousand six. I think. Sorry, are these the dates. No, I, are... do
0: rem- I do remember that.
2: Yeah, we did. We did that. Um it was 2005-2006 and then took a few more years off and then we played This Is Hardcore in 2010 in Philly and then we said okay look we don't want to play the East, we're spoiling the East Coast if we're going to do anything else let's do. Let's go to the West Coast Had, did a couple festivals and did two shows in LA, one show in Austin and then uh, Gros Rock in Belgium we've never been to Europe so let's do it you know
1: Rosarock is incredible. My band played it
0: like two or three years ago.
1: Yeah, none more black did it last year. So awesome.
2: Yeah, it's fun.
0: See, I got I got into you retroactively. It was none more black was the first my first introduction. Okay, and I loved it oh, immediately. Thank you. And I can't even remember how I got the CD. I think it was founder Black. Maybe is that the first one? Mm-hmm. Forgive me, Yeah. Um, and I was like, just fucking awesome. This dude's voice That's is incredible. This. Like the Melodies are great. It's really great stuff. And then I met Paul through um, uh, Rusty from H2O. Okay. And he was like, I'm oh, number black. I was like, oh, daddy blah, blah, blah. Slobbery, slobbery. Mm-hmm. And then I think I saw you guys play with the explosion at CB's. Loved ones. Maybe. Loved ones. That's it. Thank you. Yeah. Loved ones. Matt was there from the explosion and he yeah. jumped on the stage drunk. That's why I remember it as an explosion show. Whenever that was a
2: bad show for me that night. Really? Yeah, I
0: was really drunk. Well, thank you for making me hate it. Though. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that was the only time I've ever played drunk, and I'll, and I'll never do it again. And it was by accident. Mm. I was slurring and forgetting parts. How,
1: how did you accidentally get drunk? Yes. <laughs> I think this has happened to me before, but well, I need confirmation. It happened to me last night, it was, I think. It
2: was a, there was a snowstorm that day. Mm-hmm. So Jared and I, our drummer at the time, drove up early to beat the, the traffic, you know. So we got, we got to the city at like noon, one o'clock. Loaded our gear in whenever we could and just, just, just casually just started sipping drinks. And that just didn't stop. By the time we went on, I was just like, whoa, it caught up to me. And it was a mess. I called everyone the next day and apologized.
0: Well, I didn't get a message, Jason. Very funny. Well, you didn't leave your number at the door. Damn it. I thought Hilly had it at the time. It's ridiculous.
1: I want to back up a little bit. So when when you left Kid Dynamite to do the film stuff, what was I feel like a lot of people in that position would be like, "Oh, everyone loves this band. It's these like kind of celebrated guys. Like, what did you want to be a full-time musician or were you like this isn't what I want to do?" I never wanted to be a full-time musician. Really,
2: um, because it was always something like I got my foot in the door at, at a studio freelancing doing video like commercial work and you know, unless you're gonna be I was being realistic. I'm not going to Well, Kids Itemite moved so fast we put out two records in two years. Like it was like tour record and and even before like Dan was Dan was finishing his doctorate, so we couldn't tour over the first like summer of ninety eight or whatever. Uh we couldn't tour till Dan and I were both freed up. Dan finished his doctorate. Let's go. And even when we weren't, when he was doing his doctorate, we played every, almost every weekend um, for the whole first, like six or seven months. Then it was, it was tour, come home, hit the studio, leave for tour again, come home, hit the studio, you know, and it was, it was moving really fast. So I was like, okay, I'm going to lose track of what I really want to do. I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want this band to end. Because at that time, who knows how big a hardcore band can get. Right. I don't know. I've never made any money making music. And we certainly weren't making... You know, I would come home from an eight-week tour and be able to pay my rent, my bills, and I'd go back to work. I was working stock at Structure. You know? I was folding clothes and unpacking boxes. So I said to myself, okay, let me try to get a, a real job. So then I got in at this production company. And when you're doing freelance work, you have to keep yourself, you have to keep one foot in the door or they'll forget about you. Right. So, you know, at that point you you have to decide, you have to try to find that balance. And every time we write a record, there's that excitement like, oh, maybe we can do this. But then you're on tour and you're like, fuck, you know, got to, this is, we're losing money. Yeah. You know, it's like, by the time we could actually make a living at this, we're going to be whoring ourselves, you know? So that's something I didn't want to do,
1: but I think at that age, like a lot of people aren't like super pragmatic or realistic or th- thinking that way. I mean, have you always kind of had that kind of bigger picture vision, sort of like what's this going to be like ten years from now?
2: N- no. um I think i'm i everyone else wanted to do it like I, I, everyone else in the band would have dropped everything i'm I held the band back probably from becoming a band that could have succeeded on the road and made a living and put out records every more often but i don't know if they would have been good records you know i don't who knows who knows if kid dynamite would have done another record what it would have been like you know we had 40 something songs on the first two like what could i what else could i write
0: about yeah now at that point in the writing process were you involved in the music at all or was it just specifically lyrics for kid dynamite yeah
2: Dan came came to every practice with a new song, arranged. You know he everything was there. Wagon shoots does his thing. Mm -hmm. You know Steve or or Spider at the time. Whenever whoever was doing bass at the time, do their thing. I'd just be in the corner, kind of working out my phrasing. Go home and write the lyrics. So, yeah. Wow. But that's how that's. I actually prefer it that way because the songs were more focused and and followed a theme and that's how None More Black works. Really? Yeah. I think it works. It worked rather than people bringing parts that, you know, coming from Bound where it was all people writing different parts and we were forcing them together. Mm-hmm. Like having a, a, a song that comes from the gut, from one person's gut and then kind of builds from that. You know, I I prefer that.
0: But no more black. You're the the main wellspring. I'll, I'll
2: come to the. I'll come to everybody with demos, and you know. Then we start. I'll start working with Richard ahead of time, just to get the grooves right. And then uh, Colin and Paul come in, and they add they add that extra layer. You know, and since we've had so many lineup changes, it didn't really. Satire was the first record where it actually. We started to really gel that way, you know, where you could trust, you could just say, okay, here's
0: the song, do what you want to do. Well, how much time was in between Kid Dynamite and None More Black?
2: Uh, Well, None More Black kind of started months after, but not on a serious level. It was just the idea. Like we went through just like little, probably we did a seven inch in 2001, I think it came out.
0: Was uh, it were the guys in Kid Dynamite? Like, oh, he left our band to do another
2: band. I'm sure. Yeah,
0: we never really discussed it,
2: but I'm sure that there was some. They were definitely very angry with me, mm. and you know, for good reason. I swept. You know, it's like I, li- I when I when I had to quit that band, I was living above Dave, and I called him, and then I just hear. A knock on my door, and then you know he just came up and discussed it, and he just had this blank look on his face, and then you know that was we didn't speak for years, and we would run in, run into each other in the hallway, you know, coming in and out of the apartment, and it was just so awkward.
0: <laughs> yeah, terribly. awkward. I don't mean to snicker at it, but that's that's, that's like, like your ex girlfriend living in the same yeah. building yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. three ex girlfriends. Yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and it was a strain. But you know what? It's like. Everybody went on to do great things. You know, Paint It Black became a band. Uh, Dave played in Good Riddance. You know, Mm -hmm. made a couple great records with them. You know, Spider did his thing. Loved ones. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of great things came out of it, which is positive.
0: It's very fascinating to me that you like one. You like what Jonah was saying. You had the wherewithal to go. I'm not into this right now, and it's a very it's a hard, mature thing to do, if that makes any sense. It's selfish. Well, it, 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 the key word in selfishness, it is for yourself to make yeah. you feel better, you know? Right. And, you know, you're trying to think of something as a whole, but if you're not happy, then you're not helping anyone else. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. And it was, I to be honest, I probably could have gone another maybe six, six months to a year in Kid Dynamite. But it was starting to affect, I mean, everyone was, it was going to affect everyone's livelihood at any minute. Spider was going to move to Philadelphia because of the band. He was going to drop his life in D.C. You know, people were going to start quitting their jobs to do this band. So I had to just say, I had to kind of pull out when I pulled out because I didn't want that on my conscience, you know. Having, oh, I just moved here, you know, I, what am I going to do? Right. Right i I didn't want that to happen. we were planning a tour uh with turmoil in Europe, and it just i was like i don't wanna i don't wanna I don't wanna start booking this thing if I'm not gonna be ready so
1: how do things work with No more Because obviously you guys have careers you know Paul has other bands I mm. sure everyone has other stuff is it just sort of when everyone's schedule's clear or how do-
2: um nowadays it's like uh it's just when everyone's in the mood it's at when we got back together in two thousand and eight, you know because we did satire, did that tour. Um, I had just moved to New York, was working same situation, was doing freelance work here, and i couldn't I couldn't tour anymore, so that's when I said, Look, I think I'm done and um, after two thousand eight. It was me, uh, Colin, and Paul got together and we kind of discussed like doing it again but more casually. So by design it was, you know, I don't want to tour all the time, you know, a couple, couple weeks a year maybe. But now it's, it's – I can – a good analogy, it's like a – right now it's, it's like a video game without a save function, you know, like an old – like Mega Man. Right now we play – like we haven't played together in a year since last grows rock and Richard and I had started writing new material, like putting together the new material a year ago. And it's like you play, you you get to a certain point and then you got to stop for a little while. And then you got to pick up the game again and start from the beginning and get to the point where you were at. Maybe you get a little further, you know, you got to regain control, learn the controls again, learn where the enemies are. And then, at some point, you just kind of get bored with the game, you know, so we just have to be excited about we we all love each other's company, but geographically, we're not in the same place. you know, Richard's in Florida, you know Collins in Philly, Paul's here. I'm in Jersey. Paul and I see each other more often than than I see anybody else. If we all lived in the close in a half an hour proximity, we'd play a lot
1: more, I think has Paul ever tried to get you to kind of put the blood on and <laughs> yeah. uh in the fact barbs paint
2: And we were I forget what happened there was something where I was I picked up his bass and I put it on and cuz we sometimes we switch instruments at at practice just to fuck around and I and I looked down at his strap and I'm like is this goat blood and and he's like yeah and I was like all right <laughs> I, I I just took it off I was like ew he has not tried to douse me with goat blood.
1: My roommate, Emily, who's awesome, is really good friends with Paul. And they were meeting for brunch the other day. And she's like, Do you want me to meet in like a half hour? And he's like, oh, I played a show last night. I got to like clean all this blood off. Oh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's got to stick. And they got to, I mean, they have to re- like clean up a lot after the show, too. I'm sure. Poor man. venues.
0: Man. Yeah. I think, I think imagine you have to like know the venue beforehand and be like, Here's the thing we're going to play, you're going to get a crowd, but there's going to be blood. No, no, real blood, real blood. This was in something that had a heartbeat, (laughs) but we'll clean it up after the fact.
2: I think a lot of venues charge extra for that. Like, if I guess if Guar comes to town, they will. They'll have to tack on. I think Paul might have told me some stuff about their uh, watane as well. Yeah, there's like a a bonus that the club has to take money off to pay extra people to clean up the blood that's left on the floor.
1: Oh man, I saw ICP. A couple years ago at bamboozle and yeah i was like why are the, why are the security guards wearing like parkas and it's like sunny out yeah and everything's covered in plastic and then i was drenched in fago <laughs> and listening to some of the worst so music i've ever heard
0: it's <laughs> disgusting <laughs> i love how so many people went to that show like we just have to do it oh dude we i have, have to, to for go sure. and to watch this
2: band i think i would be afraid
1: yeah this was this was pretty safe because it wasn't really an ICP show. Like, it was a festival oh, where, like, right, most right. people were there to see, like, whatever, Taking Back Sunday. Okay. So it was, like, very non threatening. There were, like, some hardcore juggalos, but for the most part, it was, like, people like me who were just, like, sitting and see the spectacle.
2: Have you ever seen the documentary American Juggalo? Yes. No. You dude, know, look at you it. It's on it. Vimeo. It's, it's incredible. Beautifully shot, but it. yeah. it's like at the gathering.
0: Oh, you know what? I have heard of this guy. Okay. Yeah, I haven't it's, seen it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like, about a half hour long. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's like another world, man. Yeah, it really is. There's a guy at uh, in my neighborhood who works at Sam's Club, which I frequent quite often. And he's the dude that picks up the shopping carts. And you know, I've seen him a number of times. And bumped by him and I saw ICP Tattoo. And I was like, oh, he's a juggler. Now I have to, what do I have to say? What do I say? Let me go find some lyrics or something. <laughs> Remember when ICP covered Let's Go All The Way, this song by this band Sly Fox from the 80s, was just this crazy, like it's a typical 80s tune. Wouldn't know the band forever. And for years I thought, I'm going to cover this song. I want to join a band specifically to cover this song. It's so great. And Rock It Up. And then Insane Clown Posse did it.
1: You know what's weird though? I saw an interview with them and I was like, these guys are really articulate and like, Really smart. They know what yeah. they're doing. They were For on sure. they used to
2: go on Stern a lot. Oh yeah? Yeah. And they always like yeah, just like you said, they it's a business to them. Right. You know? And look what they
0: have created. Yeah, absolutely. You know?
2: Who and like they... Coolio played like the gathering last year.
0: Oh, they had like a Charlie Sheen come out and go. <laughs> did <she all laughs> Tia Tequila get like stuff thrown at her? She did, something? but I think that's the norm. I haven't heard it that is. name in I forgot she even existed. (laughs) That was
1: the last I heard from her. Like, she got like booed off stage and like got hit with a brick or something crazy. I can't remember what it was. Something got thrown at her. I don't think it was really a brick. That was Um, an exaggeration.
0: You'd think people would be more respectful of, you know, a stripper of her caliber (laughs) at the (laughs) gathering. Do you think that, (laughs) as we're talking about festivals, here's a good segue, does that make it easier for your bands to play now, since you, you know, you're, you're in the space where I imagine I would be in after touring in a band, like, you know what, I don't like touring. This is, this is hard, but mm-hmm. I like playing now with so many festivals all over the yeah. world, especially in the United States. It's just easier to like, Oh, we'll go here for a weekend.
2: Yeah. Well, festivals, I much prefer playing our own shows, to be honest. Oh, okay. I'd, however, I will get to that. We'll get back to this. I don't, I don't really love headlining. Um, We'll get to this, <laughs> uh, but it's festivals nowadays are, are fun because we run into our friends bands mm-hmm. who play these festivals with us, you know, and usually festivals are just, you know, you go, you play your show and then you just have a good time with your friends, you know, with all the, all these guys that you've come up with through the years and grows rock is, it's essentially like all these American bands that we know that we just go hang out with and it's it's really, they take care of everyone, the food, you know, drinks backstage, it's it's just a fun experience but it's, it's also fun to, you know do your own show that's, because you never know at a festival who you're up against, who you're playing playing against, if anyone cares when Kid Dynamite played in LA, I was a nervous wreck I was like, I don't know if anyone's even gonna give a shit, you know, if we're playing and it was awesome, you know Same with Austin. Austin, to me, I've never uh, played like a a festival there. I'm thinking, God, there's bands like Spoon playing and there's a lot of hip people here. Who's going to care to see us? And the show is great.
0: But you you didn't headline.
2: No, we didn't. (laughs) Played in the middle of the day. Right before Cannibal Corpse.
0: Oh, that was a good spot. They lent us their gear. (laughs) It's
1: very nice. It's cool. I'm familiar with Blood. I know Paul. What's also crazy is like I feel like every band from that era, like 10, 15 years ago, is back together. So it must be interesting to go to these festivals and see, like, Snapcase or whoever. I don't know if Snapcase is Yeah, we haven't done
2: something with Snapcase yet.
1: But it seems like a lot of the bands from that era yeah. are kicking into another's
2: back who I haven't seen. I'd love to, but...
0: I saw them with Seaweed.
2: Yeah, so did I. Yeah, this
0: was an elephant. It
2: was for the Seamless tour, right?
0: This I, this was a, like a free show in L. A. It was the only time, first time I ever, went to the Whiskey A Go Go and someone's like in, uh, this into was, another and seaweed are playing. Yeah, they were
2: touring together. I saw them at the truck. I love that band so much. They're like the Zeppelin. Of, I, I I I call them the Zeppelin of like hardcore because <laughs> they're on a hardcore label and they were just way it. No one sounds like them. No, and the musician level of musicianship in that band was will oh, blow your mind. Peter Moses is just. Yeah, Mind the dudes board.
0: could really, really
2: play. I don't know. I don't know what they're like now because now they have two guitarists, and Tony's no longer with you know, with us. So it's like, who's mm. playing bass? I don't know what it's like.
0: Why don't you like headlining?
2: It gives me too much anxiety. I think I've since since two thousand eight when we got back together. I've gotten much more anxious. Where I to the point where my stomach goes in knots and I throw up before shows (laughs) and like I end up going to the bathroom a million times even I can't eat I can't it's just it's like are people going to stick around does anybody care we don't practice that much like are we even going to be good is my voice going to hold up you know this is our third show straight you know the longer I go without playing my voice just you know it's a muscle that has to be exercised like any other muscle so it doesn't it gives me a great deal of anxiety I'd rather play main support, or you know,
0: get get up, get off, and hang out. You know, have you always been prone to anxiety? No, just wow.
2: I have never had stage fright before. It's just now it's it's starting to kick in. Wow, it's weird, isn't it?
0: That
1: is weird. So you have a fear of heights, or yeah, uh, yeah. definite fear of heights. Okay, and then do you have any other anxieties or any other kind of phobias?
2: Yeah, spiders. I mean,
0: That must have been hard when he was in the band. (laughs) Bam! Wow.
2: Zing. Um, I mean, I'm not, if I see a little spider, I'm not like crawling up. Right,
0: right. It's like. I found the stage fright thing really fascinating because there's, I've always gotten nervous before talking in front of people. Or or no matter how often you do it, there's always nerves to it. Uh And it depends on what you're doing and how you're doing it. But then do you find when you get out there, it dissipates? I, the
2: adrenaline kicks in when we're, once we start playing, I can play live, like I can play, but between songs, it's, I I, I won't talk for that reason, because I really just go into a shell and can't wait, I want to start again, I just want to get, I want to start and get it over with and get off off the stage.
0: Not one for banter?
2: No, because it's, at some point it just becomes... Redundant.
0: Yeah. What do you
2: say? Hey, Chicago.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've played with
2: bands where, by the end of the tour, we knew exactly what they were going to say between every song.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. That to me, it's interesting though that that's like a relatively recent thing. Like, like having done this for so long.
2: Yeah. Oh, having anxiety. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's that yeah. That part is interesting. But to I me. think
2: I think maybe it become it, it comes with the fact that I've stopped doing it.
1: Right. You know.
0: When you um, give yourself a chance, when you give yourself a moment to think about what you're actually doing, you know it can be nerve wracking. Yeah. Now, when you do these uh, mini tours, if we can call that, or one off gigs, or whatever, you still have you're still doing freelance work.
2: Oh yeah, this is my vacation time. Okay. Like I, I am now, I am now a full time employee ah. um, at a studio. So, um, I think I've been full time for four years now. So. I use my vacation time to play
0: shows. So will you vacation never? Well,
2: <laughs> I, luckily I've accrued enough vacation time where, <laughs> you know, some of it goes, you know, with my wife. Some of it will go towards a, the band or a new record or another project, whatever, you know, if I want to go film some stuff. It's,
0: you know, you got more, more stuff to balance. Do you have a plot or idea for what you're going to film? Besides, you said a documentary, but like, would there be like, uh, I don't want to say a feature, but you know,
2: I have, I have. Well, I'm going to do the Paul Romano thing, and mm-hmm. then there's something else I'm chasing, which may or may not happen. Which I, whatever, it's. I hope it happens, but it'll be exciting if I, if I can get it. If I can, if I can actually get the parties involved to to agree, it's going to be pretty cool. And you don't want to announce? I can't. That now. I can't. <laughs> it's not. It's nothing like. It, it, it'll be big for me, mm-hmm. you know, because it'll give me a a big feature length project to sink my teeth into. But, um,
0: and is it straight up directing? It's everything. Everything. Yeah. Wow. Not acting. It's documentary. But yeah, it's, documentary. It's, Most, uh, mostly documentary. Based. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. I dig that Which, sort of. It'll thing. It'll be fun. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Hopefully. That's that's always the documentary style. I have a friend doing a documentary now, and he's been working on it for. Three, four years.
2: Yeah, because where's when does the story end? That's the thing.
0: And his issue is that people aren't saying no to him that he wants to interview. So he'll think he's wrapped it up and then he gets somewhere else. So with that kind of, I don't know, like, if you want to go into a documentary, are you prepared for how long it's going to take?
2: Yeah. Luckily, like, well, I, I, I can't... <laughs> I don't want to talk about it because i don't want I don't want to jinx it, but this a lot of the work has been done uh, okay uh, on this particular it's it's true crime related
0: um, oh, nice
2: because I'm really into like true crime and and you know that's my thing. I like in- investigation discovery I like I'm into serial killers and all that crap, so I mean I'm not into like what they do, but I'm into the you know how they're caught
0: and you know stuff like that. you ever read from Hell by Alan Moore? No.
2: seen the movie is that is that
0: the movie's garbage but the uh the i judged it it was crap the comic i just made your day when you leave go by from hell by alan it's heavy is it just one or is it a series it's heavy it's it was a series but the the, when they put it all together in a trade it's gigantic and at the end there's an appendix that delves deep into jack the ripper
2: maybe i'll swing by uh midtown way to the train today it's a
0: good place to be Do do you have a number at midtown do I have a what? Ah, see? If you go, you can get a number, and if you spend... Oh. so nerdy. Maybe spend... I did at one point,
2: because yeah. I was It's like, your
0: birthday, right? Yeah, it's your birthday. they will oh. keep track, and for every hundred bucks... Well, I don't
2: always go... I used to go to, to Forbidden Planet, you know, because I would go... Whenever I would go see Paul, because he works in Union Square, I'd swing by there, you know, because we'd usually get dinner around that area.
0: Are you a comic guy, too?
2: Not not so much. I would like Batman. Mm-hmm. Um... That's pretty much the extent of my comics.
1: But you're into horror yeah. and that type of stuff? Yeah. Are there any, I like... I Check Out From Hell. Are there any good, yeah. like, current horror movies? Like, do they still... Or are they all, like... I feel like whenever Remake? I see them, they're, like, 3D remakes. Yeah. And I'm like, eh.
2: You know, I'm psyched about Lords of Salem, even though I, I just read a terrible review. Oh, uh, yeah. There was and a- I'm not... I don't necessarily love rob zombie's writing or his wife's acting but i love his visual aesthetic Mm -hmm. um and i didn't see the evil dead remake which was panned it's like people pan things and then people get excited about Mm -hmm. things um i I think beyond the black rainbow is pretty interesting um um, but yeah you're right there's not a whole lot going on that's not because people want to make money Right. It's probably more like straight to DVD or... I didn't see the collection, which was... I don't know if you saw the collection. No. I feel like everyone wants to make a franchise these days. But not to say there's not some good independent stuff that I probably haven't seen. I mean, not all over the place, so... I can only watch so much. Ah, dude.
0: I, the horror. not. I can't do it. No? <laughs> no, I freak out very, very easily. That's what I like about it. You see... I don't need to feel that way.
1: I, I like, sometimes I
0: like feeling uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. And that's why I like that stuff. And that's, I feel like that's kind of what, like why I got into like punk at some point. Cause I was like, what's going to happen? Am I going to uh-huh. get, I don't know. Especially going to shows like in Boston and stuff. Like I did a summer in Boston. It's so scary. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the, you know, like, you know, who seeing like whatever, like, uh, and like. AC or something and like stopping the set like seven times for fights. But I liked like that and like not knowing what was going to happen next. Yeah.
2: Rafe from Black Anvil turned me on to this. He's like this French movie Inside years ago. This is when I was living in Brooklyn and I, I watched this movie and I was living by myself and I was like, I'm never buying a house. I was like, I'm never buying a house after watching this movie. It was so unsettling. I changed my mind since I am going to buy a house. But <laughs> That movie, I, I, if you like, you know, a thrill ride. It's yeah, it's nope. really thrilling, very <laughs> suspenseful. I
0: grew up in Northern Virginia, and we'd go to shows in Georgetown, and I wouldn't walk by the Exorcist steps. I would, I would drive around the block to avoid it, to wow. park. So I'm a big weenie, and I'm fine with it.
2: <laughs> I remember seeing Zodiac in, uh, I think I saw it the City Cinema on Second Ave. Okay, and. The idea, like, the idea that they didn't ever find him or, like, actually close the case. And I know the guy is not out there killing people, but I was so afraid walking home that night. Like, walking to the train. It was dark. I'm walking home. Like, I, was, I had that, like, eerie feeling, and I like it. Like, I like to feel that way.
0: Ah. No. I get freaked out when I take the garbage out at night because I'm, I'm always checking for zombies. That sounds ridiculous, but I always am.
2: And I feel like now, like, the world is, the world loves quote-unquote horror because of all these, the Walking Dead, like, all of a sudden everybody's into gore and, you know, American horror story. And But it doesn't, everyone's kind of, like, jumping towards that sort of stuff When that's just kind of, like, I don't know surface level.
0: Did you ever read The Walking horror. Dead?
1: No, my I have no interest in it. I don't even like the show. I thought the comic was okay, and I didn't like the show. Yeah, I didn't.
0: I didn't. Well, I didn't watch. I had to watch the show. I felt for I thought the something.
1: pacing on the show was so slow.
0: Like I felt like
1: it's a, it's a soap opera. Yeah, it was just. Are like, you a
0: Romero fan?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, not so much late. You know, nah. the, but I can I appreciate it for what it is. Like. I know a lot of people don't like Land of the Dead but I thought it was interesting. I thought it was an interesting
0: idea. That the, the zombies have taken over. And- yeah, and like there's this like, you know,
2: one island that's safe and, you know, with the tower. And, I don't know,
0: kind of like that stuff. Didn't he did he do, he was in Nightbreed, the Clive Barker? Was he? I think he I think oh, Romero was Nightbreed. in it. I think he acted in it, but I don't think I don't
2: remember that. Directed I haven't seen it. Nightbreed
0: in a, in a long time. I'm crazy- really liking it, yeah. Yeah, it was fair. Barker I-
2: Barker's a wild one yeah hell raisers like it holds up i don't know when the last
1: time you saw I it. i haven't seen it since i was like a little kid probably
2: i watched it recently it holds up really <laughs> even the even the practical effects some shots are a little wonky but it's like wow it still
0: looks cool are you a big um i know this has been in the news lately with all the effects houses like
2: oh uh, yeah it's like I mean
0: not getting their due with all these movies. Yeah, you, I mean they should. They, they
2: really should. Hell what yeah. do you mean? What's going on?
0: It's like um like Life of Pi. Uh-huh. Like like Wins, um you know best director. But the movie is mostly visual effects. And of course you know you need a director with a vision to do it, you know, um uh, but it's like if you look how they made it it's, it's a lot of green screen, you know. And it's right. gorgeous and it's made for 3D, but these places are going under. They're not making any money and they're literally doing all the work trying to make you know, the unreal look real, you know, and from your perspective of, you know, working in this field, I guess, yeah, like,
2: of course they, you know, I mean, I'm not, I work in advertising, so mm. I'm, I don't, I don't feel that, like, I get paid to do a certain thing, you Mm -hmm. know, but they, these people rely on, on making movies for their, you know, to keep their business alive, and they are essentially making these movies profitable, You know, you would go see the Avengers. And if if the Avengers was like practical effects, it wouldn't be interesting at all. But because people are flying around and all these amazing shots are being created. It's like you should get the credit for that. And you should be getting paid. Yeah. For it. Flat out. Because these movies do make a lot of money. And half the, you know, you take a star. It's like who's doing the stunts aren't even. It's all CG people, you know. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. I but I, I, you know what? I, I rather like, I really enjoy movies. I appreciate when movies don't use visual. But now they use them to replace the sky. Mm-hmm. You know, you, if you watch Boardwalk Empire or anything, that's why yeah. the reason I won't watch it is because the sky looks too perfect. Yeah. It's like everything's got to be perfect. Game of Thrones does it too. Just have a gray sky, have a normal sky. It's not going to kill you.
0: I think it might be in the way that it might not have been that way that day. You know? I know, yeah. Like, did you ever see uh, O'Brother? There were no clouds in the 20s. <laughs> no, at all. Oh, uh, well, did you ever see uh, O'Brother were out, though? Of yeah.
2: Course.
0: You know, that was like the first movie where they just, they tweaked everything.
2: The colors, yeah. Yeah,
0: like it's... Digital like, intermediate, yeah. That's what they call it? Yeah. It's, you know, it's, they filmed it, it's, you know, a, a lush green day, but then they shot it to make it look, you know, Dust Bowl era. Right. That's different. Everything.
2: I mean, color correction is is one thing, but actual, go- like, David Fincher is is... Basically photo, he basically photoshopped shots, you know, like there's not enough snow on this curb, you know, so they'll just put the snow there digitally when to the viewer, it, it, to me, it doesn't make a difference. Like a, a beautiful shot's a beautiful shot, you know, mm-hmm. you should spend time, th- the craft of like when, when avatar won best cinematography that year, I was like, well, I get it because of the 3d technology, but most of that world was digital. It was, you know, to me, a good photograph is showing a space and what's happening in it. They created that space around where the camera was, you know? Yes. So it's just, you know, I appreciate that's why I like Malik and I like Paul Thomas Anderson because they're kind of purists, I think.
0: But do you still feel like you don't know how much was, how many lights are behind them, you know, how much is being tweaked out. Like you don't really know. Right. What? Yeah, you're right. It's, it's, yeah.
2: Malik actually shoots a lot in natural light, which is crazy. And it shows, it's some, like he shoots, like if you see To the Wonder, it's mostly like magic hour, sunset. Looks beautiful.
0: But you only have about an hour to work each day. (laughs) Yeah, so perfect.
2: (laughs) Show up at three, you're done by eight. Good
0: night. Jason Shevchuk. He knows what he's talking about. He, he likes knows. It. He knows everything. It was kind of. I get it. Kind of intimidated, and people are really, really smart.
1: Yeah, he is really smart and good at retaining things, which I feel like I'm not. Um, and I did retain the date that Kid Dynamite's playing House of Vans uh, August 15th. They'll be playing with Joyce Manor next Thursday. So uh, both bands are amazing. Both bands are great. It's free. There's free beer. Uh,
0: what else are you going to do on August 15th? It's so great. You could go on our website, goingoftrack.com, and donate money to have our podcast continue running. If you like it so much, we hope you do. Send us an email at facebook.com slash track. Like us, watch us on Twitter. Tell Jonah to turn off his phone. was <laughs> that, Lucas Previn? It is Lucas Previn. Whatever. It's <laughs> not like we'll ever have him on. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk to you next week.